turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. You guys know this scripture? In verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, he said, if you continue in my word, if you remain, if you abide, and if you endure in my word, that's, that's what that word means to continue. It's, he says here, then are you my disciples indeed? And then it says this, and you shall know the truth. Well, what's the truth? The word of God. And the truth will make you free. The truth of the word of God doesn't set you free only. That is an outward symptom of the root that you've been made free. In order to walk free outwardly, you have to be made free inwardly. But then in verse 36, look at what he says. I love this. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Well, we know from Scripture that the work of Jesus on the cross made us free. Right? So, in other words, those of us who have now bowed to his lordship and, and literally have invited him to be the Lord of our lives and are now born again, brand new on the inside, guess what? As you're sitting here today, doesn't matter what's going on in the outside of your life, doesn't matter the mistakes you've made, doesn't matter the things you're walking in, you are actually free. This is why we preach the word. All the epistles are trying, all those prayers of supplication, all those principles, the Pauline revelation as he penned it from the Holy Spirit in the epistles are to show you what you have been given in Christ, to show you who you are in him. So today, you have to know as you're sitting here you might find yourself, or if you're online, you might have an addiction that's been eating your lunch. Well, I'm here to tell you, you are free. And as you realize that, as you gain revelation knowledge of the word of God, what you will do is your heart will open and you will literally be, start to hand the Holy Spirit things as he, as he directs you. Because if you got hold of something you can't walk free from it. I have an overwhelming sense right now that there are people in this room, there are people watching online, that there is a call on your life. And you know that for a long time, you have not walked in it because of offense. Somewhere along the line, you looked at a preacher, you looked at a church, you looked at something else outwardly, and it fell below your expectation and you got offended. And now you have literally been missing God's plan. Well, the Lord would say to you, it's not too late. Just turn from that. Let it go. If there's been a burden that you've been carrying, if there's unforgiveness, if there's anything, give that to the Lord. If there's one thing we see about Jesus, he meets you right where you are, right? Right? He meets you right where you are, and then he so graciously lifts you up, step by step, little by little. He progressively develops you. It's his will that all people be saved, but he doesn't stop there and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Whoever the Son has made free is free. So, amen. So let's look at this a little bit today. We're going to look at how to walk in freedom today. It'll help you. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Hallelujah. Man, you guys are a good-looking group. Praise God. A lot of hungry people. Isn't that awesome? And more and more coming all the time. Hallelujah. Hungry to know more of him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. It says, For as much as you know 
that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. You were not redeemed from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In other words, Christ took something of himself, his very life, to redeem us. It cost the very life of God to redeem you. Wow. So to redeem means this. We have to understand this. It means to, to pay a ransom to purchase someone, to take them out of one situation, to buy them out of one situation, but it doesn't stop there. To be redeemed means to be placed in to another position. We know that we were spiritually dead. We were lost in this world with no hope of ever knowing God or having a relationship with him. Lost forever. Jesus stepped in and he shed his blood. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of just those that accept him? No, God loves everyone. He's no respecter of persons. He takes away the sin of the whole world. Isn't that amazing? God has literally paid for every human being who has ever lived while knowing that that person would never receive that. Jesus still died for them. That's how much God loves people. God never designed hell to be for man. God, if you really look at Scripture, doesn't even send man to hell. He honors, his, he honors his decision to go there. And that's why we're here, to be a light in this world. Well, I believe the self-centeredness that has been in the church, that has literally crippled the church, is leaving. It's leaving. We're walking free from it, right? Oh yeah, we'll always have our flesh, but we'll know how to keep our flesh on that altar. It says here we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. What that means is now you are his. I am his. Isn't that cool? Amen. Wow. In Colossians chapter 1, it really explains this in verse 13. I'm just going to read verse 13. The whole thing is so good. But verse 13 says, talking about what Jesus did for you and I, who hath delivered us. From what? From the, from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been redeemed. So as we break this down, who hath delivered us. This is in the Greek aorist tense. This literally means that this action that is spoken of is a one-time event. Once and for all. You could read it like this. Who hath once and for all delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Wow. He delivered us once and for all from the power of darkness. From. It's really the Greek word ek. It literally means he delivered us out from. So he took us out of the delegated influence of darkness. Is there anyone sitting here, anybody watching online, who maybe feels like, wow, I've been taken out of that because it sure feels like I'm in that right now. Anybody? Have you ever felt like you were really under Satan just pounding you? That's why you never let your feelings guide you because that's not true. Oh, it may feel like a way, your emotions may be, but you have the strength and spirit to rise up and say, no, I don't believe what I'm feeling right now. I don't believe what I'm seeing. I don't believe what I'm hearing. I believe what he said, right? So he once and for all delivered us out from the power of darkness. This word power means the authority of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So in other words, all of us as Christians have been once and for all 
removed out of the delegated influence of darkness and once and for all translated or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is where we are right now. So right now you are not under the delegated influence of darkness. You, he, or you can't legally be put under the there. You might have decided to let someone or something, the powers of darkness, have control in your life, but they have no power to do that. All it is is deception and lies and manipulation and everything. And when you realize that, wait a minute, I don't have to be sick anymore. I don't have to be poor anymore. I don't have to have this self-image that I'm worthless or I'm not enough. or a, I don't have to have that anymore because Christ has made me free, not set me free. Oh, being set free is good. It's a result of being made free. So it's time, it's time for the church to start living outwardly who they are inwardly. Does that make sense? So, so very important. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, it says this. Hebrews 9, 12. It says, neither by, this word by in the Greek really means neither through, the blood of goats and calves, but by, or it literally the Greek word means, or through his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So all those Old Testament sacrifices all they could do was they could cover or seal man's sin for a period of time. But it says here, Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he came out of the grave with his blood. And he went into heaven, right? He went into the heaven as our Redeemer, and there's a tabernacle in heaven that was not made by hands, Right? It was made by the word of God. He made it and he walked in and he put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And what that did is it obtained eternal redemption. Man's sin would never be covered. Man's sin would be erased. Your sin is gone. We are a people with no past. Aren't you glad? Right? Isn't that amazing? Once and for all. In other words... He purchased your freedom, and that's why today you are free. Wow. So, man, I'm telling you, as you're sitting here, the Holy Spirit's going to be like, so stop putting up with this nonsense. Stop beating yourself up for your behavior. Get in the Word and allow, allow a revelation of who you are in Christ, a revelation that you've been made righteous just envelop you because holiness, your behavior, comes out of righteousness. Why is the church so carnal? Because we don't know who we are. And we have those that, you know, down in your heart, you want to serve God. Man, this was me for years. You know, you just want to do the right thing, right? I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church. Well, I got saved when I was four and a half years old, and and even as a four-and-a-half-year-old, my mom told me when we'd have to go to Catholic Mass to appease her family because we were all Catholic, right? And then she would take me to Moody Bible Church in Chicago. And, you know, first of all, I start out the day with, with the Catholic priest with his back to me reading another language, Latin. That's what they did in the 60s for Mass. Thank God that they're not there anymore, right? So then we'd leave that, and then we'd go to church, and, and I would sit there, you know, before my mom started putting me in children's stuff and everything, I would sit there and I'd be like, Mom, why is that guy so mad? <laughs> well, he's probably just a fiery preacher, you know? But then I grew up in other churches as we, as we moved away from Chicago and got into some smaller churches. And, and you know, you're just constantly told, man, you got to be holy. you got to live right. You gotta... And I'm like, yeah, I, I want that. How? Right? So that's why here we talk a lot about the how. But God has made you free. See, you, you have no possibility to walk this out if you're not born again. 
But if you're born again, this is not hard. This is who you are. It's very easy for you to walk holy. It's very easy for you to forgive, to yield to the love of God in your heart, to yield to his strength and his ability to receive from his grace, to walk in his faith. This is the way you've been made today. I love it. Jesus took his blood once into the holy place and he obtained eternal redemption or eternal freedom for us. And his blood... And well, I'll tell you, after Earl's here, I just have a sense we're going to go really into a, a, a series very thoroughly on the righteousness of God. But his blood, it produces a perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness that you are made, it literally destroys condemnation. It destroys everything that would mess with your mind and everything that would mess with your life. It's that righteousness that you've been made. He was made sin so that you would be made the very righteousness of Almighty God. The power of sin is broken in our lives. So 2023 is not going to be a year, where the, another year where you have this secret sin that's eating your lunch and stealing from you. If you so choose, you could walk free from all of it. The Lord told me so strongly that if people will choose to walk in me, saith the Lord, they will walk free. It's just, it's just, it's just the way it is. Sin consciousness is broken. The guilt and shame is broken. God looks at you. He is actually looking at you today as if sin never existed in your life. Right? See, I always thought I was, see, I was raised to think that I was clothed in righteousness. But you know, if you're clothed in something, guess what? What's underneath it? Uh, who knows, right? But you could take it off. But I can't take off righteousness. I've been made righteous. So like when I confess my sin, 1 John 1, 9, sinful nature, no, I can't confess my sinful nature because it's gone. Sinful or unrighteous behavior, I've got to confess it. What, what that means is I've got to say to God, I've got to say about it what God says. God, I just told a lie and that is sin. And oh, also that sin was condemned in the body of your son back in A.D. 30 or A.D. 32, whatever it is. So right now, I just confess that before you, and Father, right now I receive your forgiveness, and I also receive your cleansing from all the unrighteousness. And what happens, he cleanses us from unrighteousness, and all that's left is righteousness. Do you see that? We've got to get this right. Boy, the book of Romans is one of the most misunderstood books that there is. God looks at you as if sin never existed before. Now, I grew up thinking the reason why is because the God of heaven has this pair of, of scarlet-colored glasses. So he sees the mess, Tony, but then he puts on glasses and goes, oh, he sees me in Christ. Does he see me in Christ? Yes. Does he have to put glasses on to do it? No. No. The Lord asked me one time, he goes, Tony, do you know why I'll remember your sin no more? And I'm like, well, God, because you're God. You can do it. The all-knowing God has the amazing power to forget. He goes, no. He goes, I, I don't remember your sin anymore because your sin is gone. It's not anything I have to do special. It's gone. I did something special. I removed it. When Jesus was on the cross, it was removed. Gone. I mean, think about that. We have to get a revelation of that as Christians. Because when you get a revelation of that, you can't keep that to yourself. You'll start walking around and you'll be praying, Lord, send me to somebody that I can tell that, man, Jesus took your place. 
That message, Jesus took your place. He bore your sin, so now you can be free and be made new. That sounds like, well, who would ever receive that? No, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will wake somebody up. Because the deception that is upon their life is only a result of they've chosen not to glorify God as God. They're not thankful, and they have vain imaginations. Satan could only blind the minds of people who choose to believe not. Right? But you could be a light in this world. In other words, I live my life and I have faith in his blood. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13 says this, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit... The blood of Christ through the eternal spirit. In other words, the blood of Christ and the spirit of God are inseparable. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, look at this, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So many Christians, because their conscience has been purged, but they don't know what that means, and they're just living in this mess, and that's why they're not... The, the average Christian, you know how many people they lead to Christ in their lifetime right now in America? Do you know how many? Zero. Zero. Why is that? Right here. Purge. This word purge means to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. In other words, the purging of your conscience is a New Testament blessing. My conscience has been purged. I have been circumcised. My spirit has been literally circumcised where now my flesh, it's not connected to my flesh anymore. Not when I'm born again. So now my flesh, although it will try to dictate, I have the power now to say no. In the New Testament, the blood of Christ, it brings forgiveness and it brings the removal of a sin consciousness. That's what it does. Not only forgiveness, but the removal of a sin consciousness. I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner but I was saved, and now I'm a brand new creature in Christ. Right? The blood of Christ in your consciousness, it produces a righteousness consciousness, which brings your faith into a higher expectation to receive from God. You are to live your life expecting. That's the walk of faith. See, what is a sin consciousness where you live your life and you're constantly conscious of your sin? That stinks. You and I need to walk around being constantly conscious that we are the righteousness of Almighty God. And when we do that, it will cause us to walk in the faith and by the faith of God to receive all that he has provided for us in Christ. we got to get this part right. Otherwise, this walk of faith is just a mechanical thing. You know, it's so glorious in this whole word of faith, the whole history of it. Man, in the 70s and 80s, so powerful. But what happened is we lost this whole love of God thing. And all of a sudden, I'm going to church with my chest out because, you know, my faith did this. Oh my goodness. Right? No, no. We live by the faith of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You'd go to some churches, man, you would get run over by believers because they had to get theirs. Or, or if you're, you're visiting a church and you sit in somebody's seat, you talk about get ugly. But I'm, I'm spiritually mature. I'm like Brother Hagen. I don't talk very much. So I'm not friendly. You don't even know Brother Hagen. I never knew him personally. I know people that were very close to him. 
He was a very quiet, different personality guy. But if there was one characteristic in his life that you could say, it wasn't faith only. No, no, the number one characteristic was he walked in love. He loved people. He loved, because see, when you love God, and you know God loves you, you love what God loves, right? So we got to get this right, and I believe we are. The New Testament word to describe forgiveness, the New Testament word is remission. It's wiped out. Isn't that good news? So Colossians chapter 1 in verse 12 says this. Colossians 1.12, it says, giving thanks. This, this Greek word eucharisto, it literally means constantly giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us. Again, we see another word, hath made us. This word literally means has qualified us. Able, meet or able, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow, we constantly give thanks to the Father because he has qualified us to take part in the inheritance that Jesus provided for us. I'm so thankful. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption. This word, have redemption, in whom, you could read it this way, we have it, we hold it, and we possess it you got to keep hold of it. Because there's a lot of Christians that they've been made righteous, but they've let go of the revelation of this. In whom we have redemption through His blood. We hold redemption. We hold on to that. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. If I do a behavior that's contrary to the word and my own spirit pricks me, I run back to God. Because I understand that I've been made righteous. I'm his child. The spirit, the spirit that he has given me, it causes me to cry out to him, Daddy, Daddy, I chose wrong. And I know that his mercy never fails me. His mercy is new every morning. I know when I reach out, he's reaching back. I know his ears and his eyes are always upon me. He never leaves me, he never forsakes me in whom we have redemption through his blood, and then it says this, even the forgiveness, wow, of sins. The Greek word aphesis, even the aphesis of sins. This word means forgiveness, but it means cancellation. It means cancellation of the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Death. Do you know how many people go home early because they're like, well, you know, I've just done too many wrong things. God couldn't heal me. But that's just not Bible, right? It means the, not only the cancellation of the penalty, but it also means, this word ephesus also means the removal of the guilt and of the shame and of the condemnation of sin. Wow. The redemptive work of Jesus, literally, when he forgave you, it's not just, okay, I'm forgiving you this time. It's literally, it's gone. And not only, not only is the penalty of sin been canceled, right? Have you ever abused your body and now you need healing? Guess what? You just repent. Lord, I haven't taken care of my body. I repent of that. The cancellation of the penalty, but here's the other thing. Have you ever done anything that causes you to be guilty? Causes shame in your life? Gosh, I hope nobody ever finds out about this. Causes me to condemn myself, right? And if it gets too public, then other people are condemning you. Guess what? Their condemnation, what that, how it really hurts you is you hear that and then you start condemning yourself. What hurts you is when you start condemning yourself. Well, this forgiveness, this ephesus, he removed the sin, 
He removed the penalty of sin and he removed the guilt, shame, and condemnation that you feel because of it. Wow. Wow. See, when you're blood conscious, you're no longer sin conscious. Wow. In other words, Jesus not only dealt, he not only dealt with the sin, he dealt with the sin consciousness. Because the sin consciousness, the shame will drag you back in. And listen, guys, you're free. The death of Christ has the power to destroy everything that we used to be in Adam. There is no, there's not even an inkling of spiritual death in my spirit. There's not even any spiritual death in your spirit. The blood of Christ, it not only speaks of the death, but it speaks of the resurrection of Christ. I was crucified with him, right? Romans says, I was buried with him in baptism, right? I was raised to a new life in him. I'm seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm identified with his crucifixion and his resurrection. And now sin will not dominate me anymore. This is who we are in Christ. Wow. The Father now sees you in Christ through his blood. It's how he sees you. Hallelujah. And the blood of Christ, because of what was done for you and I, it literally brings us into the presence of God. You know, we sang this whole sermon once again. You know, we talk about the goodness of God. That's his very presence. The blood of Jesus has literally brought us into the presence of God. So whether you realize it or not, you are in the presence of God. And the more you set your eyes on Jesus, which is setting your eyes on the word of God, the Holy Spirit will lead you, the more you'll become conscious. And you live in the presence of God. Right? We sang about that. I'm living in the presence of Almighty God. It's not based on my behavior. It was based on Jesus' behavior as he went to the cross for me. Look at this, Colossians 1, verse 20. And having made peace, peace, what do you mean? Peace between God and man. Through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. To reconcile. Literally, it, this word means to call back into union to restore you to favor with God through the power of his cross. Wow. It, it speaks of the restoration of peace that has been disturbed. It's all been restored. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Wow. In other words, this is what really happened. Through the blood of the cross, there was a blood covenant made between God and the last Adam whose name is Jesus Christ. We were included in that. There's a covenant. And Jesus is the surety of it. Right? See, where it says he ever lives, seated at the right hand of God, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Well, if you study the prayer of intercession, that is a prayer that literally connects an unsaved person to God. So what is he talking about? He's not talking about the action of intercession. He's talking about the position of intercession. If you study the context, he ever lives to intercede for us. In other words, the fact that he is sitting on the throne as the firstborn, he's our great redeemer. The fact that his blood is forever on that mercy seat, it forever says that we are his. We are forever connected to him. More than conquerors through Christ. To reconcile all things to himself. By him I say, whether it be things in heaven or things in earth. This mean literally that God has made a decision to see us through the blood and not through our behavior. 
Wow, thank God. This is why a spiritually mature, where it says perfect, that you be perfect, literally, many times when it's talking about spiritual and maturity, it literally is talking about, uh, that word means adjust and repair. It doesn't mean flawless. Right? God loves you. Your behavior is not messing him up. Stop letting it mess you up. That's how come people were so mad at Paul. Don't listen to that guy. He's out there just giving everybody a license to sin, talking about grace. Right? But nobody needs a license to sin. We don't apply for that. We just do it. Right? But how do you keep from doing it? When you realize you've been made righteous, you'll live holy. You'll walk free from that stuff. Right? So that's why judging people stinks. I don't like that pastor, man. He doesn't tuck his shirt in. And he doesn't wear a tie. You know, and he preaches too long sometimes. Right? I, I, I feel sorry for a person like that. Because you know how much that affects me when somebody doesn't like something I say? Zero. I mean, I make sure if it does affect me, I cast that. I throw it away. If it's an email, I delete it. If it, right? If, it, if it's a piece of paper, I shred it. I mean, I don't live in that. Why? Because I got to keep my eyes on him. But I do pray for those people because the minute a Christian judges somebody else, they are put in a judgment seat and they are judged. And, and don't get me wrong, I live in a great environment as a pastor. Gosh, I hear about some of the stuff with friends of mine. Wow, some of the stuff they put up with. People coming up to them after the service. Well, I just disagree with that. I don't get any of that. Probably because of the look on my face if somebody would, I, okay. You know, I just want to meet with you about, no. No, I'm, I'm going to meet with somebody who's hungry and who wants God. Amen. Have no time for you, but I'll pray for you, right? Because see, the word of God is a lamp to whose feet? To your feet. It's a light to your path. My lamp and my light does not light your, I, so I can't really, Amen. I could preach the word as your pastor, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because see, here's the deal. You can't, you can't move in a direction you don't see. Have you ever tried, have you ever see, had somebody in your life, I mean, this is parents are going, oh my gosh. You know, you see kids and you're like, guys, we told our, we told our son and daughter, we're like, listen, when they became teenagers, we're like, okay, you're going to be tempted to think we're stupid. And that's just, you know, and there's an independence growing in you. But it's growing. It's a good thing because God wants you out on your own and as you grow up. But, but you might think that we're stupid. But listen, there is nothing that you'll ever be able to figure out and do that we probably haven't already done. Now, maybe in our family, maybe Jeanette hadn't done it, but I'm an over, I've been an overcomer in that area. <laughs> right? So it's like, but here's the thing about Jeanette, you know, A.K.A. Mrs. Stealth, she will know, right? Like my son said one day about a friend of his, he goes, yeah, his parents have this thing on his phone so that they know right where he's at all the time. And we were sitting at a kitchen table, he goes, I don't think that's fair. And, and I looked at him, I'm like, David, I go, y you and I and Sarah, we probably have our own satellite. And we told our kids, don't lie to us. If you, if you go to some party that you know you're not supposed to be at or you're in a place where you're not supposed to be, call me up. And the fact that you called me ahead of time because the Spirit of God will let me know. And there were plenty of instances where, you know, well, not plenty because our kids were really good. But, I mean, you know, our kids would, the Lord would talk to us. And they knew. The Holy Spirit would say something. So I said, if you ever get in a bad position, just call me. I'll come get you. And I, and I won't embarrass you. I won't embarrass you at all. And, and guess what? There won't be any repercussions. We'll talk about it. But you won't be grounded. You won't anything. Right? You know, we never had to do that. 
did we ever check on them? Oh, yeah. Hey, we're over at this person's house. Okay. Jeanette and I are out and about. You know, let's just go drive by that person's house. <laughs> right? But, you know, when God forgives, you've got to know this removal of the shame and guilt. Man, that is so good. Hallelujah. What am I saying? You are not what you do. But you can be. You can, you can have a behavior that is reflective of who you actually are if you'll just embrace this. Right? That's why in our church, if you'll notice, it's a great environment. We're not trying to work out each other's salvation here. But if somebody gets in trouble and they want help, man, we're right around them praying for them. Right? Getting a situation Right, bud, bud and Fran, man, get in a situation where Satan's trying to take you out because of sickness. Man, we're just like, no, we can't have them. We got to have them here, right? So this is huge. So what does all this do? Righteousness. Right? It brings us into the presence of our Heavenly Father without any sense of guilt shame or condemnation, as if sin has never existed. I love that. I think E.W. Kenyon is the first place. He's the one who originally said that. What a definition of righteousness. Wow. Righteousness. So very, very important. So in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 16, look at what God says. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. How does God write his word in your mind, in your heart? Guess what the pen is. My tongue is as the pen of a ready writer. That's why we believe the word in our heart, and we speak it out of our mouth. We hold fast to saying what he says, right? We meditate in his word day and night. We delight in his word. And it, it's just etched. His word is in me. And it affects my mind. It renovates my thinking. And in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Wow. Verse 18 now where remission, again, a thesis. It's Strong's number G859. But don't always go by the Strong's definition because it's really shallow. But ephesus literally means, now where remission is, ephesus, forgiveness, canceling of the penalty, removal of the guilt and shame and condemnation, now where remission of, the, of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Why is there no more offering? This is why you don't have to, oh gosh, you know, I did this so many times, I just got to pay a price. Nope. Nope, there's no more offering. You know why? Because Jesus entered once. And what he did was enough. Nothing you could do will ever be enough. What he did was more than enough. So what do you do? You honor the blood by just saying, man, I've been forgiven. Father, thank you. Right? I love that. Jesus took our condition. There's no longer any evidence of who we were in Adam. The blood of Jesus has literally silenced the voice of sin, guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I could tell you this. Our adversary, the devil adversary. It's the Greek word antidikos. means one who is violently opposed to righteousness. He hates you because you're righteous. Right? Our adversary, the devil, he never wants you to find out what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. He doesn't want you to ever know that and gain revelation. But guess what? Ha, ha, ha. Today, we are. Right? And I think we hear about this a lot. Look at, now, so now let's take all that we've been saying, and now we'll look at a scripture that we all know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This 
which completely gives us a picture of salvation. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This means a new creation, one that has never existed before. It literally means an original form. Do you realize that there has never been anyone like you and there never will be anyone like you? You and the human race, you are one of a kind, completely one of a kind, unique in every way. Isn't that awesome? We are a peculiar people. Now, I've been a lot of Christians that I could, I could look at them and go, wow, weird? No, that doesn't mean weird. Have you ever met some of them? Star Trek Christians. Boldly going where no man has gone before, or God, right? But God will work that out with them. The only reason why I'm not one is because I stay close to him. And I ask him every day, I asked him, I talked to him this morning about it. Lord, show me what I'm not seeing. Show me what I'm seeing wrong. If there's any blind spots created by my flesh or wrong choices that I hit, if there's any pride, anything at all, show it to me and I'll make that adjustment. Right? So important that we live like that. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things, what old things? The old sin nature are passed away. Behold, how many things? All things are become new. Wow. New where? New on the inside. Right? But see, when you're new on the inside and you feed the inside, it will show up on the outside. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in our life? Let me teach a whole nine-part series on his work in your life. Here it is. The Holy Spirit wants to pull out who you are on the inside. He wants to pull that out and show it to everybody, starting with you on the outside. That's what he does, right? A transformed life. Verse 21, let's jump down there. How did this happen? How did I become a new creature? For he, speaking about God the Father, hath, past tense, made him him who Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin now this word made is the greek word poieo it means he made him bear our sin who knew no sin that we might be made this is a different greek word it literally means come to be the righteousness of god in him we are literally made the very righteousness of god Wow. So in other words, righteousness is a free gift of God. It was provided for, for us by Jesus at Calvary, right? And it comes to us through the grace of God. Wow. We're standing in Christ right now before the Father. We're seated with him. Wow. Righteousness is not just some woo-woo thing. It's a, it literally is who you are, and it produces a position with God. You're his child. See, the key to understanding all of the things of God is you must understand the position that you have with him. You have to understand that. So very, very important. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, look at this powerful scripture. It says, for if by one man's offense, that's talking about Adam's sin in the garden, if by his offense, death reigned by one. Wow. The word reign means death had full and superior dominion in the earth because of Adam's sin. It says this, much more, and in the Greek it means so much more that it can't be compared. So in other words, all that Adam's sin created, all the death that it created, cannot, be, cannot even be compared to what God has done through Christ. Much more, they which receive, this receive, it's in the Greek, right? Continual present tense. They which receive. So I have to constantly receive this. They which receive. 
take hold of and act upon. It's not a one-time event. And this this word literally means I take hold and I act upon it and I continue to and it grows in me. My ability to act on it will grow. They which receive the abundance of grace. Grace. It's the Greek word charis. It means the divine influence on my heart that is reflected out of my life. It grows. See, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God wants the grace of God. He wants you to grab hold of it and receive it and never let go of it. Right? And to continue in it so that it will grow in you and what's coming out of you will grow. To where people on this planet will literally see the grace of God. They'll look at you at how you're blessed. They'll look at things in your life and go, there's no way that that has to be God. Right? The abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. That's interesting. I could understand how I could take hold and not let go of the grace of God because I've got, you know, I receive, I receive everything that God's given me by his grace through faith. But how do I receive, take hold of, continue in so that it grows in me the righteousness of God? Because guess what? You will never be more righteous than you were the moment you got born again. Righteousness doesn't grow. It's like the love of God in your heart, that doesn't grow. Your ability to yield to the love of God grows. But the love of God is perfect. The righteousness of God is perfect. But how do I increase in this? I'm increasing in my awareness and in revelation of all that means And as I'm increasing, I'm learning how to walk that out. I'm learning how to walk in my righteousness. I'm learning how to, I'm learning how to literally in every situation of my life, look at it through the lens that I've been made righteous. So now Isaiah 54, in righteousness, I will be fixed and immovable and I will be far from oppression. In righteousness, why am I far from oppression? Because I will never fear. Why will I never fear? Because I've taken hold of my righteousness. I know who I am. I know Satan can't touch me. Can Satan touch God? No, then he can't touch you because you've been made the righteousness of Almighty God unless you don't know that and don't know how to walk in it. Right? A lot of Christians are like an adult, massive bull elephant that's a circus elephant that literally is standing with a rope tied around its leg and it won't even move. It's it's totally limited by this rope. It thinks it can't break it. Well, why? Well, because when that elephant was a little baby, they put a big chain around it. And that, that baby elephant would yank and yank and yank and never be able to be free but by the time year after year goes and it's full grown and it, it could have just snapped that rope without, without even thinking about it, it won't even try. And that's where most Christians are. Who you are in Christ, you have literally been given the authority in the name of Jesus to have absolute mastery over the satanic hierarchy and over all the ability of Satan himself and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's Luke ten nineteen. Jesus said that to those that he sent out before he went to the cross. After he went to the cross, it was even a greater day. He said, said, now guys, behold, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go in my name. See, that's the thing. We have to take hold of the reality, the revelation knowledge that I've been made righteous. When you mess up, The Holy Spirit will teach you to just go, wait a minute, I'm not going to do this because I'm the righteousness of Almighty God. That's how you learn how to walk in it. That's why we give each other a break. 
because we are all in process, right? We're all in process. So we, we, we give the world a break. We give those that hurt, try to hurt us on purpose a break because we all know who the enemy is. And we know, wait, I'm righteous. Man can't do anything to me. Isaiah 54, in righteousness, no weapon that's formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I will condemn it. I don't condemn the person, I just condemn the tongue. Because I understand I live on a word planet. Words affect things. But you know what? The, you know the number one person's words that I condemn? My own? Sometimes I'll say something stupid and I'll be like, Whoa, time out. Because I'm very sensitive. I'm like, wait a minute, Lord, I don't believe that. And I curse that word that it will not produce in Jesus' name. Right? It says that those which take hold of, receive, continue in, and grow in the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, it says they shall reign, have full and superior dominion in life, in Zoe life. Wow. By one, or actually again, it's through one, Jesus Christ. I reign through him. Isn't that good news? This, this is how I walk. I continually grow in revelation knowledge of who I am and who I've been made in Christ. I must continually take hold of and grow in the abundance of grace. Wow. So in Romans chapter 5 and verse 21, we're kind of coming down to the end here. But this is real important. Romans chapter 5 verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, so sin had full and superior dominion, and it would literally bring death to people. Even so, might grace have full and superior dominion through what? Through righteousness unto eternal life. So as sin brought people, death reigned through sin, to, right? It brought people to death. So now it says here, grace will reign through righteousness and it'll bring me into eternal life. I grew up as a kid in a denomination. I thought eternal life was when I go to heaven. I was so happy to, to realize eternal life starts right now. I don't have to be sick anymore. I don't have to be poor anymore. I don't have to be beat down by the world system. It doesn't matter what the economy does. I'm going to increase. It doesn't matter how dangerous a situation gets. I will be safe in him. It doesn't matter if a virus breaks out, right? I'm going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And once I realize this, the more I realize it, Man, if you've got some virus or whatever, whatever, receive your healing and then declare in the name of Jesus, I will never get that again. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, you lay hold of your healing and don't let it go until your healing manifests in your body and then you say, it will never come back. Poverty and lack, I know you're a spirit. I know you could hear me. You get out of my life. I bind you in Jesus' name. Now, Father, teach me how to profit. Lead me in the way that I should go. Get poverty and lack out of your life in 2023. All things are possible to him who believes. Don't buy into, oh man, the interest rates are going up. I'll never afford a house. It doesn't matter what they go up to. You know what? If, it has, if there's a 50% mortgage, does it matter if you pay cash for the house? Not at all. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you, do you see when I even said that? People are like, eh, that's a little bit too much. Well, you know why we say that? Because we haven't renewed our mind to that. Not everybody's saying that, right? So, so here's the thing. The Bible says whoever is born of God overcomes the world. That's the Greek word cosmos, world system. Whoever is born of God constantly overcomes the world system. Guys, we're not, only, we're not only to have these things for us. We're to learn how to believe these things so that we can help others. 
guy gets saved or comes back to Christ, has a family, man, you know, it's like, hey, you know what? I've been believing God. I've got three houses and, and, and you know, this house is just for believers that I'm discipling. As long as you're willing to work and tithe and honor God in your finances and, and, and listen and meditate on the word of God, I'll let you live here rent-free until you could get your own deal together. That's the way it should be. And we're moving in that direction. It rains, grace rains through righteousness unto eternal life. But it's all by Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is the grace of God, right? Grace is the divine deposit of God's very ability. It's, it's, he deposits his very ability in a person which produces outward manifestations of God's ability. See, you can't walk and express outwardly the ability of God if it's not working in you. You can't give what you don't have. And you can't give what you got 40 years ago. Well, you know, I'm a Rhema grad. I could show you Rhema grads that are a mess. I could show you Rhema grads that sat under Brother Hagen that will not, they will spit at the whole faith thing. They say it doesn't work. And they're bitter. And going to Rhema no longer makes you anything than going, like you've heard that, sit in your garage, see how long it takes you to become a car. Right? No. No, no. This stuff has to live in you. I take hold of it, and I never let it go. And the grace of God, it will produce the very ability of God in me that will start manifesting out of me. So important. What is the grace of God? It's God doing for you what you can never do for yourself. Guess what, guess what series we're going to have after this wonderful series on righteousness? We're, we're, setting, we're setting the stage for a wonderful series on grace. And you know, there's been a lot of teaching, oh, this hyper grace. Listen, stop fighting this nonsense. Keep your eye on the ball and grow. There's a lot more about grace that we have never seen. 1 John 1, 9, that was not written to Gnostics, that was written to Christians. Gnosticism hasn't even, hadn't even started yet. Hilarious. I had a great conversation with Rick Renner uh, about these things. And Tony Cook, same thing. Just, you know, grace is so wonderful. Don't discount. There's a lot more to grace than we even know. But some of this stuff gets off. But it's very minimal. We shouldn't even mess with it. Hallelujah. Wow. I think I'm done. Almost, I'm almost done. Okay. One more, one more scripture. Okay. Romans chapter 5. And I'm never done. I'll just pause. Okay. Pray for me because I won't be preaching next Sunday. But I will, get, I will get to preach Wednesday. So that'll be good. So Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. It says, now get this. Therefore being justified... How? By faith. I was made righteous by faith. I simply believed it. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, through Jesus Christ, I have access. I have access. How? By faith into this grace wherein it causes me to stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Wow. So faith is for the purpose of appropriating the grace of God. Appropriating. Faith is for the purpose of taking possession of the grace of God. Hallelujah. So we have access by faith into this grace which causes us to stand and it causes us to rejoice because I have a, an expectation, hope, a confident, joyous expectation that my future, I will see the glory of God. He puts grace in me to get glory out of me. Right? If grace was a tree, glory would be the fruit. If righteousness would be a tree, then peace would be the fruit of it. 
It is God's influence within you that is intended by God to be reflected out of your life. The more you yield to the influence of God in you, the more he will be able to reflect himself out of you. That's why I walk around saying, Lord, more of you, less of me. Sometimes my wife will go, amen. But, you know, <laughs> she gives me grace. But, you know, that's, isn't that good news? So the more, if, if you leave with nothing else, get this. Lord, I'm inviting your influence. I'm humbling myself. I'm yielding myself to your influence in my life so that you could be reflected out of my life. Because, Lord, I want to yield all my fruit in my season. I want to do it where my, as I age, my leaf will not wither. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. I will only look to the inside for my provision, never to the outside. And Lord, I'm so thankful. Now I'm quoting Psalm 1-3. And I'm so thankful that whatever I put my hand to, you will bring that to maturity. Amen.